brought all of the CIY students up on stage and uh, introduced them and prayed for them as they got ready to head out. And Adam asked Peggy, our secretary, to put together a note card with a name of a student or an adult and um, just really basic information about them. And, and we want to see if we can get some volunteers that will take a note card right now. So Karen and Jim, go ahead and jump up right now. If you would take a note card and you would commit to pray for this student or this adult every day this week, go ahead and raise your hand. Raise them up high right now. Um, we would love to just see these students just be bathed in prayer. It looks like we're not going to have enough note cards. So if you don't get a note card, if you get the K, if you get the bulletin, the names of the students are in the K, just lift them up. Jim, it's a tough decision, isn't it, man? Who do you turn to, right? But um, we want this to be just an outstanding week. We want them to have a lot of fun. We want them to grow as a group. But more than anything else, we want them to really develop and continue to develop their faith in Jesus Christ. I have shared this before, but I was 16 years old in the summer of 1985 when I went to a Christ in Youth conference, kind of by accident. Bolivar, Missouri, Southwest Baptist University, and it was at that conference where uh, I made the decision to, uh, to, to enter into vocational ministry. I'd had a week at church camp at Little Galilee that summer. I'd been part of a short-term mission trip um, in the States, and then CIY was kind of the capstone of those events, and it's there that I made that decision, and really there was no looking back. And I, my prayer this week is that we will have many of our students that will make similar decisions to follow Jesus Christ vocationally. You know, we need people in every occupation that will serve God unashamedly. We need Christian teachers. We need Christian businessmen. We need Christians in the world. But I am unapologetic in saying we need preachers, and we need youth ministers, and we need missionaries, and we need children's ministers that will just love Jesus with all their heart and inspire uh, the, the local church to be all that they can be. So that's my prayer. You got a little bit more than you probably bargained for there. I kind of got on a roll and couldn't really stop, but that's my heart. Grab your Bible. Turn to Luke chapter 15. We are continuing our journey through the parables of Jesus. Last week we looked at the parable of the vineyard workers, and if you missed it last week, I shared with you that that may be one of the hardest of all the teachings of Jesus for me personally. And for people like me personally, people that have grown up in the church all of their life. We've been around the faith most of our life. And if that's where you're at, you read the parable of the vineyard workers, and it's kind of like Jesus is slapping you upside the head. It's kind of like he's punching you between the eyes. Because there is so much about the parable of the vineyard workers that, unfortunately, I connect with in a negative way. Well, well, that kind of theme is going to continue this morning as we study probably the most famous of all the parables. If we were to do a survey, man on the street interviews, and ask people what's the most famous of all the parables, my guess is the parable of the prodigal son would probably win. And some of you, if you're really being honest, when you opened up your bulletin or when you look at the screen and see the PowerPoint and see the parable of the prodigal son, the temptation is to kind of let your shoulders slump a little bit and say, well, I've heard that one before. I know that story. I learned that story when I was five years old. But I really believe the parable of the prodigal son speaks to each of us one way or another. If you're a lifelong follower of Jesus, there's something for you in the parable of the prodigal son. If you're a brand new baby Christian, there's something for you in the prodigal son. Catch this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, 
If you're here today because you had to come, maybe someone dragged you here, you're not even sure you're even buying this Jesus stuff, there's something for you in the parable of the prodigal son. And the big idea is this, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the lost son, is a study in the heart, the spiritual heart of each and every one of us. And so with that, I've asked Abby to come. She's going to read most of the parable of the lost son, Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate parable of the prodigal son. That's powerful, isn't it? I don't care how many times you've read that. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's grace. But I don't want to burst your bubble this morning, but understand there's some real problems with this parable as Jesus told this parable in the first century world. As people were hearing this parable, my guess is many of the people hearing the parable had been around the faith most of their life. They knew the Hebrew scriptures. They knew the book of the law. They knew the stories of the Old Testament. And as they heard this parable, there's a couple of problems that might have caused them to kind of look skeptical upon it. Maybe to kind of, from last week, to give the evil eye to Jesus as he tells this story. Number one, it's a very unlikely request. It's almost unheard of in the first century world for any son, much less a younger son, to come to a father and say, give me my money, give me my share, I want it, I want it now. Do you realize what the son was really saying to the father? I wish you were dead. I wish you'd just hurry on and get on with it and die so I can have my money and I can have my fun. Very, very unlikely request. But even more unlikely than that is the fact that the response that the Father has for the Son is what Jesus states that it is in the parable. It's an unlikely request. Even more unlikely is the response. See, any father that was worth his weight in gold, any father that took fatherhood seriously would look at such a son give him a spanking of some sort, and send him back to the field to work. No way would he say, okay, son, you want your money? You want your money now? 
Here it is. Be on your way. And Jesus, I think, tells this parable. Jesus sets up this scenario to help us, number one, understand this father is a very unique father. This father is a very special father. The love this father has, even for a disrespectful younger son, is a love unlike any other. But he also shares this to help us really begin to understand what does a selfish heart look like. See, when I read the first part of the parable of the prodigal son, I am reminded that the prodigal son is suffering from a selfish heart. We talked about how this is a study in the heart. The younger son is suffering from a selfish heart. He doesn't care about the work that still needs to be done. He doesn't care about the legacy that that his family is leaving and, and, and could leave in the future. He doesn't care about the responsibilities that he has to his father and to the rest of his family. All he wants to do is have fun. All he wants to do is party like there's no tomorrow and get my money and be on my way. And so as we start this morning, I want to ask you a question, and I don't want you to answer it out loud yet, but maybe jot down a a couple answers on your sermon notes if you're taking notes this morning. What's a selfish heart look like? If you were to define a selfish heart, what's a selfish heart look like? Someone in first service blurted out, it looks like the younger son. And that is true. But if you were to try to give characteristics of what a selfish heart looks like, what words would you use to describe it? Go ahead right now. Just just do this little exercise for me. What's a selfish heart look like? What do you think? Did you write anything down? Somebody shout it out. What do you think? Uncaring. Uncaring. That's right. Lazy. Angry. Okay. Somebody said in first service, me-centered. And I love that description. I love it for two reasons. Number one, I think it really nails the younger son. But I think, isn't that kind of a picture of America in 2013 in many ways? Very me-centered It's all about my fun. It's all about my life. It's all about my desires. It's all about my pleasure. And this younger son, he's got a selfish heart. And his selfish heart's going to get the best of him. Now, we could spend all day long beating up on the younger son. We could spend all day long with 15 reasons that sin doesn't pay off in the end. I'm not going to do that. But I want to give you three takeaways from the pig pen. Life in the pig pen that I think help us today as as we look at this scenario. Because here's the deal. My guess is most of you this morning, you probably don't really connect with the younger son. Some of you might, but, but most of you, you're probably not living the lifestyle of the younger son. As, as we were reading this account this morning, you didn't probably say, wow, that Jesus, he's got me pegged here. Most of you are probably living for the Lord. Most of you are probably trying to do your very best to be a person that's in worship and to be a person that's in the Word and to be a person that's in prayer. I mean, hands shot up when we asked for prayer partners. We should have made a hundred cards. That's a great thing. But here's what I want you to see is that more than likely there's someone in your life who is a lot like the younger son. And how you think of that person, how you interact with that person, how you relate with that person, how you pray for that person or don't pray for that person really could make all the difference in the world, not in your salvation, but in their salvation. 
how you greet them, how you treat them, how you love them or don't love them really could make all the difference in the world. So lessons from the pig pen. Number one, this is obvious, you know it, sin is never as satisfying as it appears. It's never as satisfying as it appears. If we went back to say, and I'm just going to pick this date out, 1990, and I'm sure in 1990 there is someone or someones from this church that made really tragic choices in life. And they just really embraced sin and they really kind of walked away from where they were as a Christ follower and, and it kind of maybe created a crisis in their life, maybe in their family, maybe something happened or things happened that, that really impacted them negatively for a, a year or for five years or maybe it's still impacting them today. If we could interview them today in 2013 and ask them the question, was it worth it? You know what their answer would be? I I guarantee what their answer would be. No. I wish I could go back in time and do it all over again. Some of you, that's been your testimony. I just wish I could go back to 1990. I wish I could go back to 2003. I wish I could go back to last week. Because sin is never as satisfying as it appears. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. James chapter 1 tells us that everyone is tempted when by their own evil desire they're dragged away and when desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. Proverbs 14 12. I love this here. I know I'm going fast. I apologize. Proverbs 14 12 simply says there is a way that seems right to men but in the end it leads to death. And I'll just throw this out there for you. If you are in a situation this morning where you're playing with fire, if you're in a situation this morning where there's a little more of the younger son in your life than you'd ever want anyone here to know, me- memorize Proverbs fourteen twelve. Reinforce that truth in your mind. There's a way that seems right to men, but in the end, it leads to death. Sin is never as satisfying as it appears. Here's the second thing I grabbed from this account is that the lost son made the decision to make a change. See, we beat up really good on the lost son and we probably should beat up really good on the lost son. He was selfish, he was disrespectful, and all of his wild behavior ended up going nowhere for him. He was on a one-way path to nowhere. He wasted, he squandered, He should get beat up on. But one thing I have to give the younger son props for is this. He finally made the decision. Enough is enough. It was just about the time that he was so hungry, he thought it was a good idea to eat pig food, that he realized this is not the life I should be living. This is not the direction that I should go. And finally, he was willing to wake up and smell the coffee. He was willing to say, I need to make a change, and I need to make a change today. We've got to give him props for making that decision. And then lesson number three, life in the pig pen. Understand that the love and the grace of God the Father is so much greater than the sins of the Son. Should we beat up on the younger son? Yes, but we shouldn't keep beating up on the younger son. Because in reality, we're all the younger son, one way or another. We're all sinners that fall miserably short of the mark. 
and we're studying the most famous of the parables. What about the most famous of all memory verses? John 3, 16, God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The love of God, it's greater than the power of sin. In Ephesians 3, the Apostle Paul, in the midst of the prayer, just says how awesome it is to be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one of the great victory verses in the Bible, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What did the prodigal learn? That God's grace is greater than all of his sins. And that's a lesson for us to learn, that God's grace is greater than all of our sins. So I've got a challenge for you this morning. It's not on your outline. Um, you don't have to do this you know, if you don't want to. But if you have a younger son in your life, if you have somebody in your life right now that's making really bad choices, they're living far outside the will of God for their life, instead of giving them the evil eye, instead of being disgusted with them, instead of saying, man, I'm glad I don't live like that, love them, embrace them, encourage them, invite them, talk to them, love them. You never know the difference you could make in their salvation. And I'll just say this, if we as a body of Christ ever get to the point that we're so excited about our spiritual superiority that we don't welcome sinners with love and encouragement and hugs and celebrations, no, we've missed the point. We've missed what Christianity is all about. There should never be anybody that would walk through those doors that would feel anything other than loved and welcomed and embraced and forgiven. And so when I read the parable of the prodigal son, I'm not excited about his behavior, but I rejoice at the grace of God the Father. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if the parable ended right there? Wouldn't it be cool? I mean, we'd be beating the Methodists to the restaurant, and we'd be on our way early. I mean, it'd be awesome, wouldn't it? But Jesus didn't stop here, and we're not going to stop here either. And I'm going to bring Abby back, and she's going to read for us, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
someone's got a heart problem, one of the things that the, the medical profession does, and I don't know this as somebody that has actually done it, but have prayed with people as they're getting ready to do it, is you have a, what's called a heart cath. And they're able to try to figure out what's wrong. Sometimes they put in a stent. Sometimes they have to do open heart surgery. Sometimes medication. I mean, whatever is called for is usually what takes place next. And my question for you when you read Luke chapter 15 is, who in this account needs a spiritual heart cath? Well, the obvious answer would be the younger son, the party boy, right? Party like it's 1999. It's obvious that he needs a spiritual heart cath. But guess what? So does the older son. So does the son that's been around all along. So does the son that stayed by his father's side while Junior was out living life to the fullest. The younger son needs a heart cath every bit as much as the younger. See, one is obvious, the other is more subtle. And I believe the reason that Jesus didn't stop there wasn't because he didn't want us to beat the Methodists to the restaurant. It's because the people that he was speaking to at this time had a lot more in common with the older son than with the younger son. And Jesus is about to take his sharpest scalpel to those who seem to be healthy to those who seem to be religious. And guess what? We seem to be healthy, don't we? We seem to be pretty religious. We seem to have it all together. Is there a lesson that we can learn? See, the the second son in our story, the older son, he also has a heart condition. Younger son, what was he suffering from? Do you remember? A selfish heart. But the older son is suffering from a self-righteous heart. He's suffering from a self-righteous heart. See, the older son, put yourself in his shoes for just a moment. He had been loyal all of his life. He'd watched his father's behavior, his father's character, his father's faith. Shouldn't the heart of the father have rubbed off on the older son? Shouldn't that have been the case? Wouldn't you think that that was the case? But that's not how it played out at all. Go back in your text to the reaction that the father had to the prodigal's return. Remember, the prodigal's got the speech all lined up. I'm not even worthy to be your son and just make me one of your hired hands. And he doesn't even get the speech out of his mouth before Pops has his arms around him, just loving on him and encouraging. And he does four things. He says, bring the best robe. That's a robe of distinction. He says, put a ring on his finger. It's a sign of authority. He says, put sandals on his feet. See, all of the servants more than likely worked barefoot. He says, no son of mine is going to work like a servant. And then the kicker, he takes the fattened calf, the calf that's been saved for the greatest of all occasions, and he says, kill that calf. It's time to celebrate. My son was lost, and he's come home. My son was lost, and I have him here again. Just an incredible reaction of love and grace. What about the older son? How's he react? Verse 28, becomes angry. Verse 28, refuses to go in. I mean, we've seen a lot of pouting lately in in these parables, haven't we? You know why I think we're seeing so much pouting? Because the temptation is, the longer you're around the faith, the longer you're around the church, the longer you're around Jesus... 
If you start getting self-righteous, if you start feeling puffed up, the little things will really tick you off. The little things will really bother you. Before you know it, you'll be majoring in the minors. And when you see a group of kids come forward to be prayed for for a send-off service, you won't say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'm glad they're going to CIY or I'm going to the mission trip. You'll say, five minutes late out of church once again. Way to go, Taylor. That's the mindset that you have. The little things really start eating at you. And you're not able to say, yes, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I don't want to oversell this point. But my guess is there are many of us, and I put myself in this category, if we're not careful, a self-righteous heart can kill us spiritually, can destroy us spiritually. And I see four problems with this older son as it comes to a self-righteous heart. And number one is this, he had defined his own righteousness. He was playing judge and jury. He had decided who was worthy, he was worthy. And who was not worthy, his younger son was not worthy. He had taken what what is God's role, and he had decided that he was going to be the definer of who was good and who was bad, and who was righteous and who was not. Secondly, he shows a total lack of concern for his brother. In fact, how does he address his father? Do you remember in the text? What's he say? This son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours of yours. Very, very fired up. Number three, he's full of righteous anger. You ever been full of righteous anger? I have. And guess what? It's still anger. Is there a time to be righteously angry? I I think so. But I think more times than not, if we find ourselves always fired up, always ready to battle, always ready to fight, always upset about something, we need to do a spiritual heart cast. We need to hit, take a quick time out and realize maybe the problem's not with everybody else. Maybe the problem's right here. Maybe the problem's in my life. And the fourth problem we see here flat out, he just has an unforgiving heart. And I throw that in there because I know many a Christ follower that unashamedly proclaims they have an unforgiving heart. I think probably eight to ten times since I've been the preacher here at Clinton, almost seven years, I have preached about forgiveness, and sometimes it's really the focus of the sermon, and that's actually coming at the end of August when we look at uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant. We're going to talk about forgiveness all morning long, and sometimes it's just kind of thrown in there like it's thrown in there today. But almost every time that I've preached on this topic, I get anonymous notes or letters from people, and they read something like this. Preacher, you can talk about forgiveness all you want to, but you don't know what my ex-wife did to me. I'll never forgive her. Or you can talk about Jesus and forgiveness all you want, but you don't know what my ex-business partner did to me. I'll never forgive him. I've had people look me in the eye and say, I don't care what the Bible says. I'll never forgive them. Almost they're proud of themselves. And if that's where you're at today, if you're saying, Greg, that's great that Luke 15 says what it says, but you don't know my story, let me just remind you what Jesus had to say about that in the Sermon on the Mountain. He said, if you don't forgive those who sin against you, guess what? 
your Father in heaven will not forgive you. And I don't say that to make anybody feel bad. I don't say that to make anybody cry. I don't say that to, to, to stir up bad memories of the past. I share that with you to remind you that forgiveness was a big deal to Jesus Christ. And forgiveness should be a big deal to followers of Jesus Christ. And so if that's where you're at, do something about it. Don't hang on to it. Let it go. Be the bigger person. I guarantee you, you will feel better. When you stop carrying that burden, I don't care what happened, you will feel better. See, the older son, bottom line, what is he crying out for? He's crying out, it's just not fair. And that's what last week's parable was about, and that's what the older son is all about, and that's what some of us are all about. It's just not fair. See, the older son is lost, just as lost as the younger son, suffering from a self-righteous heart. And so I leave you with a question today. I want it just to kind of hang out there. Hang out for the rest of the day. Maybe hang out all week long. When you have your quiet time, if you, if you have a quiet time, think about it. How's your heart this morning? How's your heart today? How's your heart this month? How's your heart this year? When I read the parable of the prodigal son, I'm reminded that Jesus Christ was absolutely full of grace to imperfect people. And guess what? We're all imperfect. We all fall short of God's glory. God's grace, it's greater than all our sin. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Bless us, Father, as we, uh, we read a famous parable. Sometimes it's hard to handle. God, there's been times in my life that I have felt exactly like the older son. I've been pretty self-righteous. I've been pretty proud of myself spiritually. I've been pretty puffed up. And Father, just like you took the scalpel to the Pharisees in the first century world through your son Jesus, it's my prayer that you, you will break us today if that's where we're at. And that we'll never grow tired of seeing lost people fall in love with Jesus Christ. And that words like, that's just not fair, they just won't even be in our vocabulary. But that we'll never grow tired of being your ambassadors. We'll never grow tired of being people that share grace. We love you. Bless us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It is a commitment time, and we do that every Sunday here at FCC. And if you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ, I invite you this morning to give your life to Christ. If, uh, if you're in need of prayer, I'd love to have the opportunity this morning to pray with you. I know sometimes we get into God's Word, and God's Word affects us in ways that we didn't think we were going to be affected. And if you would like someone to pray with you, I'm up front. I'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you this morning as we stand and sing our song of commitment. Giving you my heart, all that is within, made all Giving
Oh 